Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The New Statesman. Hello, I'm Anoush. And I'm Amando. And in this episode of Westminster Reimagined, we'll be joined by Michelle Dornelli, founder of the charity Children with Voices, which runs Hackney Community Food Hub, and Emily De Bruyne, chair of Hartlepool Baby Bank. We ask if they feel like the state is falling apart and what can be done about it. Now, Armando, this is... A big question, isn't it? Is the state falling apart? What are the recent signs that the state might be in crisis? (laughs) How long is a piece of string and can you buy the string and what price is the string and has it gone up? And has it been privatised? Yeah. (laughs) I think there was a point sometime in the summer when we had these colossal tailbacks on the road to Calais, Eurotunnel. We had train cancellations and then we had strikes. We had flights being cancelled at airports and now we've got the onslaught of the energy bill rises and so on. And I think there was a point where people started to wonder, you know, is is it working? Is Britain working? Is the country yeah. able to carry on what's gone wrong? Now, that's a huge question. And I think the answer will come in many forms and may require a few more podcasts really to deal with it. But I thought it'd be interesting to get down to the grassroots and see what people are feeling on the ground in communities and in and in local areas. We, we spend so much time talking about national government and there's a big question to be asked about power of the state to intervene. But what are people's direct experiences? Yeah, absolutely. And th- this is something that I've been working on throughout my career as a journalist, how the cuts to local government, 37% cuts to central government grants to councils since 2010, how they've impacted people's engagement with day-to-day life. You know, councils are supposed to be there for us and now people like those we'll be interviewing on this podcast having to step in where the state has stepped away. Yeah, and at the same time, of course, national government saying, oh, well, that's a matter for local government to deal with, forgetting to say, by the way, we've cut their funding. So that's that's a problem that we're in at the moment. Now, I'm so pleased that we're joined by two very special guests, two women who both set up vital frontline services to support their local communities, where councils have been cut back and central government has stood aside. Michelle Dornelli founded the grassroots charity Children with Voices in 2010, which provides after-school and holiday clubs and mentors local children in Hackney, East London. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit in March 2020, she set up Hackney Community Food Hub to provide food to the families she's been supporting for years. In 2021, she received the Hackney Mayor's Civic Award for her work. 
And joining us from Hartlepool is Emily De Bruin, who set up Hartlepool Baby Bank in 2019. It's one of 150 baby banks across the UK, which donate clothes, baby equipment, nappies and toys, which families and individuals might not otherwise be able to afford for their children. And thank you both for joining us. Thank you. And so, Michelle, let's start with you, because you actually started your charity in 2010. And that's sort of ground zero for some of the stuff that we're talking about, because it's when the austerity agenda of the Conservative-led coalition government came in. This was the idea of cutting back public spending to try and respond to the impact of the financial crash. And we're still feeling those waves of those decisions today. You know, it's impacting people's day-to-day lives, the people that you come across in your food hub. Can you tell me why you set up the charity then and sort of what changes you've seen over that time? The company was established in 2010. We actually set it up 2007. It was in response to the postcode wars in our area, which was getting absolutely diabolical. I've got grown up children and they just couldn't move around the area. And the youngest one was suffering because the connection with his sibling, his older brothers, it wasn't there. He couldn't take them to the shops, couldn't play football. I then decided to try and move. But again, if you move from one area to another, that's another situation you've got to deal with because it's territorial. My son was seven at the time and I wanted to make a difference not only to him, but to the other children in the area. So we set up Jumping Beans. Jumping Beans is an organisation where we cover holiday hunger, which is one of the most important things going out. So we've been doing holiday hunger way, way long. And I realised that when I had my children coming home and it was holiday, it's like, what do we do? We don't get free meals. The money's not increasing for us to provide these meals. What do we do? There's a lot of parents that have gone to bed hungry because of this situation that was back then. So Jumping Beans was formed. Childhood obesity was on the rise. Okay, so we had to combat that as well. So we incorporated keep fit and exercise, healthy eating and nutrition. The government and the schools are not paying attention to teaching our children about food and nutrition and calories. And so they don't know. They're eating everything and not the right things. And also for the parents as well, it's about money. So we're talking about takeaway food. Um, That was the crust where everyone was going to it because it was cheap, it was hot and it was cost effective. But then it also gave the children a little opportunity to gather around because there's no youth clubs. So where are they meant to gather around and have a little conversation after school? So um, that was why we started the Jumping Beans. And then obviously through the pandemic, we led to the Community Food Hub because then we realised that with the Jumping Beans, we weren't allowed to have that contact. But we know there was more children and families out there that needed our help. So it started from my house. You know, I would go and pick up this food on a Saturday night, drop it off or people would come to my house to collect. And then we started asking people for their halls and we were able to get some of the halls. So that's how we actually started. Did you feel... Emily, this is the question we'll be asking you in a moment. Did you feel you had to do it yourself? Were you finding that there was a gap in assistance from whether it was local or national government? Right, Okay. So the reason why we started doing the holiday packages before COVID is because, yes, we knew there was a situation. I'm very close to the schools. I've worked in schools more or less all my life. And so you speak to children who either don't like the food that's being served, it's not healthy enough. So they will skip these meals. I mean, I had a conversation with my son who's 14 and there's times when he doesn't have the school meals because, A, he doesn't enjoy it, it's not nice. Parents were complaining that they weren't getting the food or the support. But then come COVID, you had some schools that were trying to provide the parents with support, but what they were getting was diabolical. I mean, there was one parent who showed us a picture, and it's on my Instagram, and all she got was like a loaf of bread, one apple, one orange, and maybe a tin of baked beans or something like that. And you look at that and you think, well, you're a school, you're the education department. A lot of children are coming into school and you're... Um, saying that they've got behaviour problems, but they're hungry. You know, all you've got to do is have that conversation with them. 
you're providing breakfast clubs, but you're charging the parents an arm and the leg so they cannot afford that. Parents are having to go to work early in the morning. You're making the parents work a 40-hour week. How many parents can actually get up and put a meal on the table, breakfast on the table, and then come back and cook a meal? They don't do that. So the children are going to school without food. Part of us setting up the jumping beans activity and doing the cooking and the baking was to encourage our children to eat something, no matter how quick or how simple. So we would encourage them to make smoothies or look in your fridge and make breakfast cookies and stuff like that, just to get them used to eating something. But they've made it themselves. And Emily, you started uh, the baby banking 2019 what was it that prompted you to get that going we started it because uh, it was myself and two friends we were swapping items of clothing at a breastfeeding support group that we all attended and we realized just how many people were struggling so we got a free haul because we literally started with a budget of zero not even one penny it was a moment of madness Mm -hmm. and (laughs) we had six families come in our first week we didn't know any of those people and within our first week our second week was then 12 families and it quickly became apparent to us just how much these people needed help and support and how do you get word of mouth about them facebook right facebook was a huge event for us it was free it allowed us to put pictures it allowed us to say what we really wanted to say we did try our local media but it wasn't very successful they basically didn't want to take a chance on us Mm -hmm. which was a bit of a shame And I think many of our listeners will have heard of food banks. And actually, there's been a big rise in food bank use in the UK over the past five years, an 81% rise. But they might not have heard of baby banks. And also now we're hearing about warm banks, which is where people will be able to go to keep warm when their energy bills go up in the winter. And actually, you know, despite the government's recent freeze, they are going to nearly double. What does this tell us about the country that people like you are setting up these brilliant banks that are so helpful a lifeline for local people but what does it tell you about the the situation that those people are in for me the situation's just getting more dire it's getting harder and harder and i think the government is sitting back because there are people like myself like michelle who are basically doing some of their work for them mm-hmm. and as much as we have to we also must be careful that we don't let them off the hook mm-hmm. because it's far too simple to rely on the voluntary community sector to do the work that in reality they should be doing They have our taxes, they have our best wishes, and they know as a country what we need on the whole. I only know what my area is crying out for, which basically is more infrastructure. We can't get jobs because we can't get to them unless we can afford the car. How do you afford the car? If you don't have the job in the first place. Yeah. Michelle, you're agreeing there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. She said everything. I mean, the thing is, we do this with a passion. We do this because we can. We do this because we want to do it. Don't get me wrong. We are tired. I mean, right about now, I've had several volunteers who have been working tirelessly with me. They're starting to feel the impact. They're starting to get a bit depressed. They're starting to get a bit stressed out. And like Emily said, where is the money? We need to support our volunteers. Without the volunteers, there is nothing. There is nothing happening. We're not getting the support that we need. So we have to have wide shoulders, right? And we've got to be careful with our own mental health and the community breakdown which I know is coming for me (laughs) I experienced it last year and it's it's not nice but the work needs to be done how do you mean community breakdown okay so there's so much pressure we've got the council referring their clients to us they've been doing that for a long time so everyone's doing it job sent our universal credit so we're getting all of these people then I have to deal with the volunteers and their well-being Mm -hmm. then I've got to deal with deliveries and because I have to supervise the whole structure Mm -hmm. because it's volunteers which can be extremely hard so I'm overworked not paid (laughs) 
quite tired. But like I said, we get up because we've got a new energy of passion to go and make sure that our community are well. Emily was right. We are the council, the government, they are being let off the hook. Why? Because you've got people like me and Emily running around, running around, trying to sort out and fill the gaps. Mm -hmm. But no one's looking after us. And if we don't do this, I know for me, if I take sick or something happens to me, it's done. So I totally agree with Emily. Something has to be done. We need to bring these guys to accountability. Well, Emily, what's the nature of your contact with local government or, or, or community help? So for the first two years, basically till COVID kicked in, we didn't have any. They wouldn't even rent us a building. Yeah. They wouldn't even entertain us. Even though I had money in the bank by this point to pay them, they wouldn't even entertain renting me a building. Wow. wow. Then yeah. COVID came. They shut down all their services. Yep. Their staff went home. I worked every single day of COVID. Yep. I literally did not take <laughs> a day off. I homeschooled and I filled in their slack. Yeah. I sent all my volunteers home in order to keep them safe. And I took all the risk. And following COVID, when we were doing 50, 60 families a week, some days 20 families a day, they suddenly decided we were a player and we could have a seat at the table. And now it's great. They listen to us. They take our advice. I got an email this morning saying, help needed. Haven't read it completely yet, but it's a request to support them. And I think like Michelle said, but where are the support for us? Mm -hmm. There's no funding coming our way. Yeah. And I understand our local councils in particular just don't have that funding because it has been very much cut. But still, they've got manpower. They've got storage they space. Have. They've got other things that they can let us use. And they're not. Yeah. As I understand it, Michelle, you've written to Hackney Council to ask for help with a permanent location. Have you had any luck yet? <laughs> My council, I don't know. Um, I'm frustrated. They leave me angry. They leave me frustrated. And they leave me mentally exhausted. We have been badgering them we've got our clients our residents write letters to them you know they've told us we've written to philip we've told them that you need space no they've ignored us time and time again everybody else gets buildings you know mutual aid groups got a building straight away there was like a couple of them when they first set up they got the funding straight away which we didn't know was this during covid yeah 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 so like i said it's really diabolical that the council will ring me up and say we've got a client they're referring you to or shelter or any of those charities but yet you will not give us a building. You will not. We've asked, we've pleaded, we've cried. It was the community GoFundMe and the Guardian article. So whereas I thought there was no kind of like hope, the community outside gave me hope. Mm -hmm. It was they didn't know me, but they read our story. They saw, I mean, I'm getting emotional now because for me, having the community outside and that consisted of everybody, colour, creed, culture, it didn't matter. Yeah. Everybody's in the same boat. They've raised us a lot of money. And so we are able to go and get our building. We, I saw this building at the beginning of the year and we're still waiting for Hackney Council to let us in. But that's frustrating because it sounds very much like you've got a full-time job on yes, your hands. Yes, I you're, have. you're running an organisation. Yes, I am. And yet you're expected to run it, you know, out of goodwill and with no money. Yeah. But we've just been through a period, we mentioned the pandemic, when... You know, the state did intervene on a colossal scale with the furlough scheme, getting everyone off the streets and, and the housing. You know, it, it does show that, you know, <laughs> when push comes to the shove, the state can pull the relevant levers to make things happen. Does that frustrate you? It does, because you're saying that and, and, you know, they did take everybody off the street. But then what they did, I mean, I created this word hidden communities hidden communities within hidden communities and they were the estates so that is what we were trying to get we was trying to get the 
community halls within the estates, which were run by TRA. So you could sort of like have a conversation with them and they'd let you use the hall. And the stories that we would read from there, don't forget, nobody was coming in to see these people. So you had elderly people, you've got disabled people, you've got people that got cancer and no health worker was coming in to see these people or to assist them. We was the only ones that were seeing them. So we wasn't only just giving food. We then had to become their friend, their advisor, their signpost. Mm. So we've taken on a lot more than we've bargained for, yes. mm. but you can't have one without the other, you know. So, yes, frustration, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you share that experience, Emily. <laughs> Absolutely. I had many conversations from two metres away from people who've just had a baby and couldn't even see their midwife. Yes. And were suddenly, oh I think there's something wrong with my baby. Can you have a look? And... We give parent-to-parent support. That's what we're insured for. It's what we're trained for. And I'd have a look and I'd say, ring your midwife and insist on being seen. Wow. We had parents just telling us that they were first-timers, left Mm -hmm. very much on their own. And it was a frightening time. I saw social services visits happening in the street when I dropped off support packages. Now, that's massively confidential. And I'm hearing it. And so is the whole street. Wow. How... How is that appropriate? And also, this is a massive responsibility that you're both expected to take on. You're you're both suddenly expected to not just deal with finances, but with people's personal, psychological and emotional needs. Do you train for that? Do you learn as you, you go along? What kind of are you getting any kind of support from outside your own organizations? Emily, do you want to go first? <laughs> you just learn as you go. I was quite naive. I came from a background. I've been a teacher, uh, a classroom assistant. I have been a housing officer. And I set this up thinking it would be a couple of hours a week because that's where (laughs) we started from. Tuesday afternoons, two hours a week plus an hour set up. And that was what it was. And I still had a job. I had a life. Mm. Now I don't have a life. I have a baby (laughs) bag. And it takes my mornings, my evenings, my weekends, my everything. Michelle's laughing because it's so true. I no longer have a social life. I don't get to see my friends unless they come to my events. And I'm not paid. You know, I do this out of, as I call it, my moment of madness. But because I love these families and because I believe that it takes a village. And these guys are my village and I want to support them and have their back because they have mine. I'm going through a difficult time at the moment. I've got a, a relative with a sudden terminal illness diagnosis. Right, and I'm sorry to hear my it. My little support village have been fantastic. Yeah. They bring me food because <laughs> they say, you don't have time to feed yourself. And these guys, they don't have a lot, but they're willing to share. Yeah. And they keep bringing me lunch because they know otherwise I won't look after myself. And it is just fantastic. What you pour in, you get back a mm-hmm. hundred times over. I'm sorry to hear yeah. about what you're going through, Emily, but what you're saying when you mention the word love and also the the phrase it takes a village, what it sounds like to me, both of the projects that you're running don't just provide what you're giving to people. It's also a place for people to speak to each other, a feeling of community. And actually, we've lost some of that over the years. You talked about physical spaces, physical places for people to meet have been in decline. I think more than 4,000 public buildings are sold off by councils every year. 800 libraries closed between Michelle 2010 and 2019. Yeah. And so we just don't have these, these places to meet and just be yeah. together anymore unless, you know, you're willing to sit in a cafe and pay for an expensive what coffee. Is, is this the future? Is this where it's going? Hi, Anoush here. We've got a special offer for Westminster Reimagined listeners. You can subscribe to The New Statesman for just a pound a week for 12 weeks. Just go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. 
And you can check out all our podcasts, including audio long reads and world review at newstatesman.com forward slash podcasts. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, Liz Truss has come into her premiership saying she wants to reduce the size of the state. Is the state retreating and therefore just assuming that people like you will come along and take up that responsibility yourselves, but not be paid for it or or not have any kind of financial assistance? I don't know how we're going to get past this. As Emily was saying, she is baby bank. And, you know, I did this little dance, you know, I'm CWV, because that is me, you know, eat, breathe and sleep it. And it's really hard to see how we're going to get past it. Now, the first year that we did COVID, the situation was heat or eat for the elderly. That was the dire dire need. And we did a spectacular event for them. Because the thing is with us, we're not just a food hub. And we are different from a food bank. Mm. Okay, there's a big difference. And what we do, we encompass everything. So because it's under the umbrella of Children with Voices and Jumping Beans, we actually do activities. So whereas we couldn't see our children one-to-one in a hall, we started creating like the book reading week. So the parents would come, they'd collect a book, a package, or the plant week where somebody would donate these tomato seeds and would give them to the children or stuff like that. So we do a lot of that. And this year, it's not only the elderly that are suffering the heat or eat, it's all of us that are suffering the heat or eat. So we've got clients that don't have cookers or microwaves. We've got clients that don't want to use their cookers because of the fuel and the gas. We've got clients that are going to bed extremely early, putting their children to bed early. We've got volunteers that are going without food because they need to feed their children. So for me, I don't see how it's going to get any better. Now, Emily mentioned that her council, she knows, doesn't have that much money. But for me, having conversations with different people... I found out that if you're going to spend £1,400 on one of the plant boxes to block the street, that money could have been put to better use. When the council started blocking the streets, we had to say to them, how are our volunteers going to drive up that road and feed people? Do you have a helicopter that's going to drop the food off? Mm. We were met with nothing. So we don't even know that the people that we had to stop delivering to, we don't even know if they were catered for. So there's a lot of cracks. There's a lot of gaps, big gaps. And with Boris, I know he's left, but with him sort of like saying that he's not going to support the free school meals again, 
for someone like that to sit there knowing full well that holiday hunger is not a joke, it is serious. Children are malnutrition. Parents are dying. Let's not forget, we've had a couple of parents that have died through starvation. In a world that is so rich, how can anybody die of starvation? You had a child watch his mother die of starvation and then he died, okay? So when you hear stories like that, it's diabolical. But these are young people, but you just understand that the elderly, there must be a lot of them that are just dying in their homes because they don't have the money to eat and they don't have the money to put the gas on. But then why are we treating these people like this when these people open the doors for us? Why are we not putting them on a pedestal? Why are we not making sure that they're comfortable in their old age? I just think that this government is just relying on money and only the rich get richer. And I'm sorry, the poor will just get poorer and poorer. Emily, do you find when you speak to local government, do they show any signs of frustration? Absolutely. You know, on a personal level? All the time. Yeah? All the time. I'm part of a early years foundation project that the council are trying to do to improve life for naught to fives locally. And the frustration from senior managers at Palapal, they're just so, they're banging their heads against the walls because they've got these ideas, but there's no budget, there's no money, there's no support. And they're trying to put on some really good projects that really help these children on a very tight shoestring budget. And it is frustrating because we know that naught to fives, particularly in the Northeast, are falling behind their counterparts in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. We know that poverty in the Northeast has actually surpassed London once you take away rental costs. And poverty means no time to sit and read with your children. It means no time to sit and spend that quality time together because it means you're either scouring the local supermarkets for deals. Like I didn't realise until I followed Bootstrap Jack on Twitter, poverty is time consuming. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. covering all of the places to try and get the cheapest things. And that takes time, especially if you've got to walk between supermarkets. And I do feel for my local council because I know personally these managers as people are frustrated. Yeah. Mm. But I also think, unfortunately, they are part of the system, yeah. whether they want to be or not. Yeah. What was that figure that you said local government cuts? 37% cut in central government grants to local authorities since 2010, which right. is huge. Yes, um, significant. Yeah. And, Devastating. Um, and obviously, Michelle, you mentioned this is now affecting everyone. You know, you used to be looking after sort of elderly people and now it's, you know, everyone is having this choice between heating and eating that you're coming across of different different ages. And we're living in a time of inflating food prices and also uh, energy bills as well. Does that affect how many donations you get in and also your volunteers as well? I mean, how sustainable are your operations in this kind of acute economic crisis period which is affecting everyone both those giving the help and those receiving it we're sustainable because i suppose i've got the gift of the gab i suppose when we first started jumping beans i remember i used to, I used to go all the way to all the shops in the market you know going there asking for donations i did that in dalston i did that in mere street and i received quite a bit then i'd go into the local supermarkets and just sort of like say listen i'm running the children's activity what have you got for me then i was introduced to fair share so fair share is an amazing platform and you get the little app, and it tells you when you can go and pick up food. So we, we're on most of the Tesco's platforms and we have parent volunteers that will go in the middle of the night, go and pick up that food, share it with their community or bring it to the hubs. So for us, we've got so many, we're linked to like eight of the major supermarkets, but then also we've got local business and small business always wanting to donate. And then we've got the amazing community. All we've got to do is just sort of like say, listen, I've got some elderly people who need some heaters and then it comes pouring out. We did a pampering session just a couple of weeks ago in light of child Q and the other young girls mm-hmm. going to secondary school. 
we found out that because of the COVID and the pandemic, whereas the education was put back, I predicted a lot of children would have mental health issues, mm. whether it was anxiety, OCD, so said, so happened. And so a lot of our children are going through bullying, believe it or not, even more so now. And the effect that you see a child who's going through bullying is not nice at all. So we put into like this pampering package and again, due to the cost of living, parents are not going to be able to buy deodorant for smell, bubble bath to keep mm. you clean, toothbrush and toothpaste to keep your mouth. So all of this was important for us to make sure we supported the parents and the children with. So I'm just thinking it's just, we're in trouble. Do you think about the future or do you try and try not to, given it's such a, a full-on... I have to. What about you, Emily? <laughs> the future scares me. We've, we started at six families, 12 families, then we went to 30. In COVID, we were doing 50, 60. Week on week now, it's 120 for us and it's rising and we don't just cover Hartlepool, we cover the northeast. We basically cover where the other baby banks didn't meet. Right. Although, thankfully, some have, others have set up locally and we are working together because the northeast was a very large area to cover by ourselves. And the future is frightening. We are just about managing to keep meeting our commitments and our promises to our families, but it is getting harder and harder. And we are connected through a lot of the things that Michelle already mentioned, but eventually people just can't afford to give because... Some of our previously were comfortable people are no longer comfortable. And it's the silly things that rise that people don't realise. Milk has gone up 45 pence, a four pint carton, 45 pence. I don't get any child taxes or anything, but I got the child benefit rise. And that small, what was it, two pounds something wow. a month basically rise. Doesn't even cover my increase in bread and milk. Wow. And how about if it doesn't cover that, what's the point of it? <clears throat> and how about the level of donations in the last year during the price rise? We get very good where people donate us their secondhand stuff. So mm. their old winter coats, their shoes that still have life. But unfortunately, sometimes I do require brand new things. Mm. We get a lot of families coming in, believe it or not, begging for sanitary towels. Yeah. And we've always tried to have that available because period poverty is just horrible imagine not being able to live like that you see that sanitary situation that we've got and you're right period shaming and all of that it's crazy our children can't afford to buy it parents can't afford to buy it so what are they using instead i mean it's just degrading so i think that that should be a point that we try and raise that all the schools have this little room where they've got packs of sanitary towels and they let the children the young girls come in and use them when they need them for us, it's mums. It's not so much the teenagers. The school is looking after them in our local area. Okay. It's the mums. Mm. It's the mums who just had babies yeah. and they're trying to use rags. <clears throat> so we make sure we've always got something available. Okay. Even if I have to beg, we make sure we have it. Wow. And it's something that we do fund. We always have nappies. Our nappy bill has gone through the roof. Mm. People aren't donating the nappies to us anymore. Mm. But we are very blessed to have a few regular donors who literally send me checks just to buy the nappies with and mm -hmm. without them it would be nigh on impossible yeah. because we don't qualify for much in the way of funding because we're not a food bank mm. a lot of people don't know what a baby bank is some people ask me if it's to do with fostering or adoption <laughs> and i'm like mm, no please don't leave me your baby at <laughs> it sounds like that will be the next step we're joking about no, it come no, on I now there's gonna be some parents listen when i had a conversation with meg hillier it was just the day before when dispatches was talking about the fuel and, and gas this is your local mp yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry yeah and um 
on the news, you were hearing people actually crying, they're going to commit suicide, they're going to commit suicide. And I mentioned this and I said to Meg, what are you going to do? And she said to me, she's just going to bring the, the top people, make them walk the streets of Hackney for them to see this. Now, Emily is quite right. Even though we made a joke, you're going to get parents that are so desperate, they cannot feed their children. And you're going to look at that child crying and what are you going to do? You will end up sorry, dumping them at the local somewhere where you know that they're going to get help and support because people are dumping children all the time. This is just going to be another... Uh, a desperation... A necessary yes. reason. A, a, yeah, a, a desperate cry for help, yeah. you know? What you're telling us is really shocking. I mean, we're in the fifth or sixth biggest economy in the world, richest country in the world, and the fact that we hear these stories from you is shocking. And, you know, the whole idea of this government was to level up. This was the political slogan, which basically meant let's rebalance the economy to avoid these kind of pockets of, of poverty. And actually, that was focused on areas like yours, Emily Hartlepool, which the Conservatives sort of famously won in that by-election off, off Labour. It doesn't feel like levelling up from what you're from what you're telling us. Emily, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I'm still waiting for the evidence of the levelling up. I'm still waiting for the investment in infrastructure, the investment in childcare, because we're asking these parents to work, but we're pricing childcare well out of their reach. Yep. You can't work if you can't afford for your Absolutely. child to go somewhere safe. And levelling up makes me laugh because I've been doing this for three and a bit years. And as I said, it is my life now. Mm. And like Michelle, I have to balance not burning out. Yeah. But I am desperate for some support. I would love not to own a baby bank because I'd love there not to be a need. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, I've basically asked these people to come and meet with us and walk the streets and see what it's like here. See what it's like on a night in the areas that I don't fancy going and most of the town know me now. Mm-hmm. And it, there's still no evidence of I it. I mean, that 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 is my concern. In that you, I mean, you're both amazing. I've done amazing things. But what would, what would it be like if you weren't doing it, if you weren't there? You know, it must be a terrible responsibility to think, well, I can't stop this now, now that I've started it. There is. I mean, we tend to remain open 365 days of the year if we can. And there are times when I've had to sort of like say, you know, I need to give my volunteers a break. And we did a little feedback and asked the clients, what would you do when we closed down? And we had one guy say, I had to go without. I would starve. I didn't have any food, so I didn't do anything. Struggle. So when you hear these people, I mean, my skin's going cold. When you hear these people complaining and you've got breath, and you know you've got a phone call, Misha, we've got some food for you, then you yourself, even though you need to take that break, their need is greater than yours. And so you're pushed, even if you're tired and knackered. I mean, I've got four kids, and they've got special needs. I've got sickle cell, ADHD, then I've got my daughter who suffers with anxiety, but she's amazing, and I've got, they're all amazing. And I've got my last one who's um, ASD. So I'm having to deal with the special needs. So my empathy is because I can relate to the majority of the parents in my community. So that's how we get tight and that's how the bond is. But I can't take days off. Everyone keeps saying to me, she'll take a day off. We were talking about volunteers and how we sustain them. They are amazing. They don't ask me for petrol money. So I know there's going to come a time where they're going to be struggling. Mm. We are a little bit okay because one of the hubs that we're in is in the richer part of Hackney. And so those people in that community are... Oh, amazing. They're amazing. But yeah, we need to look after them. And as you were saying, they look after you and they bring you food. Well, mine done some spa vouchers and it took me a year to use it because wow. I just didn't have the time. My motto is I don't have the time. I don't even have the time to eat, to drink, to go toilet. Literally, my eating habits are so bad because we just don't have the time. We're focused on trying to meet the demand of our community. Similarly, Emily, I asked whether you think about the future and you said you try not to. But, you know, you must know that this long term, there has to be an alternative to what you're doing now. It relies on the government. 
it relies on local councils actually having back some money so that they can put things into place because the government imagines that the whole of the northeast requires the same solution and it doesn't town by town would very different Hartlepool for example is very cut off we're not Geordies we're not Mackhams and we're not from Teesside there's a hundred thousand of us and we are very much isolated one of the major funders came to our area to apologize so we didn't even exist on their funding maps mm. wow. and if we don't exist for them who else do we not exist for and we're not a small town hundred thousand people how do we not exist and have you heard from your new mp personally yep. she was standing in a line at an event i went to recently but that's as close as it got <laughs> she didn't speak to me why don't you speak to um, her <laughs> because we were there to uh, it was a hartlepool heroes award and i was very blessed to be nominated by my well community done. i didn't win but just nominating made me cry well i'll be honest and she was there and she was with her family and I thought, I'm not going to harass her, but we never see her. She's not here. She comes for an event and then she's gone again. And that is a source of contention locally because we've had past Labour MPs who were from here, who lived here, who were here more often than they were in London. Have you written to her? Mm. Not personally to her. I'll be honest, because part of the time I'm just too yeah. busy. I know that sounds crazy, but I know lots of other people who have written to her asking for meetings and asking for support. And it just isn't coming. And I've been too busy fighting the fires. Emily, can I give a little suggestion? Why don't you get your clients to do like a little mini kind of like petition, but just sort of like get your clients to sort of like fill out this form, sign it and just say, listen, you know, I'm desperate. This is why I come here. Once you've got all of those signatures and their little personal notes, then you email all of that copy and who you've got a copy. And I always copy and everybody. And if I can't find them, I'll Google them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Copy and everybody and just say, you know what, well, I need to have this meeting. You know, I didn't want to disturb. Yeah you when I saw you but I'm being professional I'm emailing you I've got all of these people that need your support can we set up a meeting and at least then you've got everybody in that email somebody's going to have to respond to you it will be hard but try it I sort of feel we want to do another one in six months to see how you, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> we have to wrap up soon but I'd be interested to hear because we've talked a lot about how you both need help to keep your organization sustainable and also to sort of keep you from from crashing basically from burning out what kind of help you know if there's anyone listening to this podcast who works in local government or, or in central government what help would you ask for in the immediate term for me, I would love them to actually come and meet some of our families and to see that this poverty is really real because they've got some idea of it, but they don't know the scope of it. And I do think, particularly for Hartlepool, is infrastructure. Because if now you're impossible to get a bus anywhere, we do have trains and I can get to London direct in two and a half hours, but getting anywhere else in the northeast is a nightmare. So why can I get to London, but I couldn't get to work on a train? Mm. I can't get a bus to work. So I know it's not a popular idea because a lot of people think it's gas or electric and it is, but they are short-term solutions, hopefully. They're short-term problems caused by Ukraine, caused by rising prices. Mm. Long-term, we are still going to need that infrastructure to get us anywhere. So I'd like just a conversation, really. And that is what you were promised from the levelling up uh, agenda that we just discussed. Michelle? Oh, for me, OK, so like I said, we've been able to retain a lot of our volunteers. They've been with us for a good couple of years now. And so we're always on the lookout for just more volunteers. And 
please don't think of it as volunteering. Oh my God, that's all day and I've got to move this. No, all we're asking is for an hour, two hours of your time. We have one volunteer who goes to work and in their lunch break, she'll come to the hub and she'll take a delivery and then she'll go back. That means so much to that particular person and it means so much to us. Volunteering could mean you just cooking up a meal. So again, if you're someone who cooks a big meal, but you always have stuff spare, put it in a container and drop it off at the hub. We do serve homeless people and we do go to hostels. So we need more volunteers. We need a building. Hello. And we've got the money to pay for one now. And we need more storage. Again, our storage containers are full because we never say no. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to express that we are food advocators and we were the first food advocators to advocate best before and expired food. When everyone else was turning it down and throwing them away, and we're talking about supermarkets, we were saying, no, we will take it. Because in hindsight and common sense sight, if you go and do shopping, £20 worth of shopping on Saturday, you're not going to eat all that food on Saturday. I guarantee you're going to have an onion left a week later <laughs> or a piece of bread. You know, So the expired and best before dates, they were actually good food to eat. And with the government supporting that we were throwing away all of this food, we started dealing with that. So um, it's just more volunteers. It's storage space so we can collect all this food so we will never run out. And it's just support from the local community, which, we're, which we've been getting already. And I think we'll put out the details of mm. both your organisations on our when, right. when this goes up. Right, lovely. Make Thank you even you. busier than you are now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> more the merrier, because I never want to turn a family away. Yeah, absolutely. So more the merrier. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your absolutely terrifying sounding schedules to speak to us about what you're experiencing today. It's it's really helpful, and I'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot too. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Very much appreciated. No, thank, thank you. you. And it was nice meeting you, Emily. We will link you up. Too. We will talk. <laughs> Anoush, you laugh, but this morning I'd done 10 people before we were officially Thank open. Thank you very much. I was answering wow. emails before and, and in the cab. <laughs> wow. It is, it's non-stop. Yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. Gosh. And we weren't even officially open, yeah. but I was in the building and I'd done 10 families. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What time do you start? What time do you open officially? Officially 10 o'clock. Yeah. I'm there at 9 o'clock to try and get everything ready, but they know I'm there. <laughs> yeah. And so they just come and yeah. yeah. Wow. So last, last Thursday we did 51 families in one day. Shocking, isn't it's it? yeah, it's it's uh, it's a storm, really, isn't it? It yeah. is, it is, it is. Thank you, so thank much. you. Yeah, that Pleasure. was really interesting. Thanks. So, Armando, I hope David Cameron's happy with his big society. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. If you want to look for the positives, and they talked about the positives, you know, the community coming together, everyone pulling resources, being creative with resources, and communities connecting with each other, which we saw in the course of the conversation anyway mm. with michelle and emily connecting with each other that's great but the underlying questions we kept coming to was like how sustainable is this this is great and magnificent as a temporary solution to a crisis but we can't let this crisis carry on permanently and i do worry that there is now a permanent assumption within government that the state steps back and allows this to take this sort of you know magnificent contribution to society for granted really. yes and we've had comments from senior conservative politicians like jacob Rees-Mogg sort of praising the proliferation of food banks and mm. you know you get this idea that they think that it's a symptom of a society that's working well for each other and of course there is truth in the fact that local people know what's best for their local community but that doesn't mean that 
these organisations run by the people we've just been speaking to should be operating completely on their own without funding from councils or without grants that have also been cut for charities and other kind of social enterprises. Yes, I mean, if there is a, a pandemic, it's great that there are hospitals and healthcare workers out there to deal with it. But you don't go around saying isn't this pandemic magnificent? You know, the number of people coping with this illness is amazing. Long may it continue. And that's where we are, I think, with the fuel, energy, poverty crisis, heating crisis. And as they both testified well before that, there was a need. You know, the question now is, what can the state do? We've accepted, actually, during the pandemic, that the state can intervene. And we've seen it again with the uh, attempt to tackle the energy price crisis. Mm. There is an acknowledgement that actually the state can do big things. And yet one worries that when it comes to, I wouldn't demean them by calling them little things, but all the micro community things, the crisis on the ground, that's where the state is much more nervous about intervening. Yes, and there's so much more beyond that big energy bill bailout, isn't there? I mean, people are doing DIY dentistry now mm -hmm. as the NHS waiting list grows longer and longer and people can't even register with a dentist anymore or they can't get a GP appointment. These things goes beyond the micro, doesn't it? These things are sort of basically what government should be there for and they're falling away. And as you mentioned during the discussion, we now have a government that explicitly says it believes in a smaller state. Yes, and not to mention the climate emergency that's... I was going to say looming, but it's it's here. It's loomed. It's loomed. <laughs> you know, it really is forcing us all to rethink, you know, not just what our individual resources can do, but collectively as a country, you know, what are we capable of and what are we restricting ourselves from doing? Thanks so much, Armando. No, thank you. So, Anoush, what's on the agenda next week? Well, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about post-truth. Do facts simply not matter anymore? with Biden campaign staffer May Dobbs and journalist James Ball. You've been listening to Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and our special guest host, Armando Iannucci. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. You can watch video from this podcast on the New Statesman's YouTube channel and on the New Statesman website. This episode was produced by Adrian Bradley and May Robson. Our executive producer is Chris Stone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.